You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. A couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about a passage from a text called Zui Monkey, The Record of Things Heard. This is Kohun Ejo's Record of Things He Heard from Dogen. And I'm jumping around a bit. Last time it was the very first section. Tonight it's the 13th, just because I like it. In an evening talk, Dogen said, in the tradition of the patriarchs, the true way of understanding Dharma talks is to gradually reform what you have known and thought by following your teacher's instruction. Even if up to now you have thought that a Buddha has excellent characteristics like Shakyamuni or Amitabha, radiates a halo, has the virtue of preaching the Dharma and benefiting living beings, you should believe your teacher if he says the Buddha is nothing but a toad or an earthworm and throw your former ideas away. However, if you look for some excellent characteristics, a halo or other virtues of a Buddha on the toad or the earthworm, you still have not reformed your discriminating mind. Just understand what you see right now is Buddha. If you continually reform your discriminating mind and fundamental attachment in this way, according to your teacher's instruction, you will naturally become one with the way. Students today, however, cling to their own discriminating minds. Their thinking is based on their own personal views that Buddha must be such and such. If it goes against their ideas, they say that Buddha cannot be that way. Having such an attitude and wandering here and there in delusion, searching after what conforms to their preconceptions, few of them ever make any progress in the Buddha way. Suppose that you have climbed to the top of a hundred foot pole and are told to let go and advance one step further without holding bodily life dear. In such a situation, if you say that you can practice the Buddha way only when you are alive, you're not really following your teacher. Consider this carefully. I think when we read this the first time, when I read this the first time, the first hit that I get is this thing about the teacher. Right? The te if the teacher says this, you do this. Right? Whatever your teacher says, that it goes. It's true. <laughs> and you should listen to it. So I'll talk about that first. Acknowledging, first of all, that some teachers do a lot of telling you what to do. And some teachers don't ever tell you what to do. I don't think I tell you what to do. So maybe this won't feel so pressing when we listen to it. But we should still think about this. It's important here that in the beginning, he, he's not talking about the teacher saying, do this or do that. He's talking about the teacher offering you a kind of lens. He's saying, try this. Look at the world this way. And he's saying, don't resist that. 
That's right. That's what's supposed to happen. Because you won't do that for yourself. You already think you're seeing things the right way. You need someone to say, try a different way. Try option B. Try this, these, these weird glasses. Tell me what you see then. It's completely unnatural to do it without someone offering. Or the other way is for there to be some sort of jolt. You know, someone dies. There's an accident. You lose your job. Something happens and then the, that lens appears without anyone handing it to you. But generally speaking, we don't imagine when we look out on the world that we're supposed to be looking at it a different way or that we could look at it a different way. We see it. It's in, it's in full color. It's fine. Now at the end, he says, suppose that you've climbed to the top of a hundred foot pole and are told to let go. He says, in such a situation, if you say that you can practice the Buddha way only when you're alive, you're not really following your teacher. Now, I, I didn't check the original. This feels to me like very careful language in a way. It's important to me, it doesn't say, if you don't step off that pole, you're a bad student. It says, if in that moment, you're stuck in a particular view, you're still stuck. You don't have to step off the pole. In this tradition, and I mean not only Zen, but in the whole Buddhist world, we get into all sorts of trouble when teachers start telling people what to do. When they get their fingers into people's lives. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, it's just a simple act of power. You know, it's pulling rugs out from people in a way that's, that's intended to be beneficial, right? You usually do that, oh, stop doing that. <laughs> or this is something you've never done before, you should do it. <laughs> you know, go bungee jumping. <laughs> it's the thing that terrifies you most, try it. <laughs> right? Sometimes, though, it's self-serving, right? You should serve me. You should give up your job and work for the center. You should sleep with me. We have to be able to distinguish when a teacher is offering an alternative view and when a teacher is trying to take away our agency. I just want to make sure that's said. But on second read, I think this isn't really about the teacher. The teacher is, is a frame. 
It's about holding on to views. It's about thinking that you're right. I had a conversation with someone the other day. We were talking about how the Buddhist world, at least in, in the West, tends to skew toward the liberal side of the political spectrum. And the person I was speaking with said, you know, it, it would be interesting to, to have a discussion about whether Buddhism can hold alternate views, views that we would label as conservative, views that we would label uh, from being from that you know, to the right. And I understand that question, but my first response was, I think that what we really need to do is we need to start reminding ourselves that Buddhism doesn't hold any views. That's the point. Not any fixed ones. Buddhism doesn't have space for you to think you're, you're right. <laughs> right? If your politics are absolute, <laughs> that's in opposition to what this is trying to do. If you're convinced that you see all angles, or if we're being more practical, all the angles that we need to see, That's in opposition to this. And, and here, he's talking about how we view the Buddha, but it could be anything. If you imagine that the Buddha has excellent characteristics, if you imagine the Buddha as having a halo, this is probably less an issue in 2018 in Canada than it is in Japan in the year 1200, but still, some of us might give him a little glow, you know? He might be a little more radiant than others. If you imagine, then he goes a step further. He says, if you imagine that the Buddha has the virtue of preaching the Dharma, if you imagine that the Buddha benefits living beings, now we're getting into territory where Probably we do assume these things about the Buddha. He says, if these are your beliefs, and if your teacher comes in and says, no, the Buddha is a toad. The Buddha is an earthworm. Dive into that. And then he says, he says I know what you're going to do, though. <laughs> you're going to say, oh, okay. The Buddha is a toad. And then you're going to look at a toad. You're going to bow to the toad. And you're going to see the toad sitting there as all of your projections of what Buddha is. And the toad's going to have a halo. And the toad, in his little toad way, is going to be preaching the Dharma, maybe in a way that you can't understand, but still, it's preaching. And somehow this toad is benefiting all beings, and you're trying to see it, right? You're looking at the toad, and you're saying, I can see the Buddha in this toad. And then Dogen is coming, he's slapping you upside the head. He's saying, no, that's not it. 
Let go completely. Let go of your simple idea of what this is and allow for the possibility, not just that you don't quite have it right, but that you're completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Open yourself to that. Mm -hmm. What if seeing the world correctly doesn't mean a slight adjustment? You know, some of you are old enough to remember f getting TVs, you know, to get the reception right. I think it's very difficult for us to not come to meditation or come to this practice with an idea that that's what we're doing. We're looking at the screen and then we're being given the tools to kind of play with the rabbit ears and the dials and that if we do this for a while or if we hold our hands just right, then suddenly, boom, it's all clear. And what Dogen is saying is, imagine that you've spent the last year or two years or 10 years or 50 years playing with the rabbit ears, playing with the dials, and the TV was behind you. Mm -hmm. Let it drop out from under you. That's dropping off the 100-foot pole. On the top of the 100-foot pole, there's nothing you can do to make it just a little better. You're on or you're off, <laughs> right? And, and part of what I love about this image, which is, is pervasive in Zen, the 100-foot pole comes up over and over again. Right? Part of what I love about the 100-foot pole is not just that it's so precarious, it's not just that it's so uh, literally do or die. <laughs> but th there's so much energy expended to stay at the top. Mm -hmm. In order to balance on the top of that tiny little pole, you have to engage every muscle in your body. You have to hold yourself just so. And then once you find it, just like with the rabbit ears, you can't move really. You know, if somebody says something from behind, you're not going to turn around. <laughs> you, know, you might not even speak because you found the place that's just right. You found the place that's true. You found the place where you know that things are correct. And from there, it feels like the most dangerous thing you could possibly do would be to move. <laughs> So you freeze. Once we're in that place in our minds, and I'm going to suggest that in some way we all are, once we arrive at that place, there's not much value in someone coming over and saying, oh, just move a little bit to the left. That doesn't change our fundamental perception of where we are. That doesn't change our fundamental perception of what we're doing. And so what Dogen says the teacher does is the teacher say, it pushes you off. Or he invites you. 
to drop. The landing is not important. Nobody ever talks about the landing. There's, there's, for the purposes of this conversation, there's no landing. There's just the willingness to let go. He says two things. And I want to make sure they get said. One is, is that he says, where does he say it? He says, just understand what you see right now is Buddha. <laughs> right. Which is at the heart of this. Which is to say, it's not that the toad is the right answer either. <laughs> but understanding the toad as Buddha is the way of understanding the lamp as Buddha. It's the way of understanding the wall as Buddha. It's the way of understanding you as Buddha. All in service of breaking down this basic idea that that's Buddha. <laughs> coming out of the dark. It's lovely. And then this other thing, which is so great, at the end when he says, he says, in such a situation, he's talking about the pole, if you say that you can practice the Buddha way only when you are alive, you're not really following your teacher. which is a dramatic and powerful way of saying, if you set even one condition on this practice, if you, if you establish even one prerequisite, even the one that seems so basic that surely it must be true, such as, well, I've got to be alive to practice Buddhism, or I have to be carbon-based, or whatever it is that you think is the minimum, Dokken says, you're still on the top of the pole. You're still stuck. You're still holding to something so that it's just right, so that it makes sense for you. I love that idea. You think you have to be alive to do this? It's so much bigger than that. I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.